Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Do you have a mate that doesn't seem great? Maybe their team is up, but they're still down. A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You Okay? Welcome to the conversations that could. I'm Dermot Brereton. Each week I talk to people from across the sporting landscape to reflect on their career, be it past or present, discuss their struggles and the successes and what they've learned along the journey and ways in which we can all support each other through the challenges that life presents. Our guest tonight is described as a hard-nosed... 191 centimetres. Is that right? 191? 191. Haven't introduced you yet. You can't speak. 191 centimetre inside midfielder from the North Melbourne Football Club with 104 games under his belt. He's somewhat of a late bloomer in football circles, having pursued his love of basketball before footy, playing college basketball in the US, flirting with the NBA and the NBL before choosing to focus on AFL. He won't know this, but we tried to get him at Hawthorne too. Returning to Australia, he also also gave him the chance to be closer to his family, more important than ever when his mum was diagnosed with breast cancer, which ultimately took her life in 2017. It's my pleasure to welcome Hugh Greenwood to the conversations that could for Are You OK? Hey, Hugh, how are I'm, I'm right to come in now. I jumped the gun now on the Now you can sorry, speak. <laughs> you I introduced you, you and then... <laughs> you did ask me if it was true and I came in. I I apologise, but thanks, Jeremy. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So, obviously, we're going to talk about a a very obvious area, but let's fill in some of the blanks for Mm -hmm. those who uh, um, are too involved in their own teams and don't know the background of Hugh Greenwood. We hear about this basketballing background. We hear about you born and raised in Hobart. Tell us about, tell, obviously, unlike Sigmund Freud, tell us about your childhood. (laughs) It does get thrown around the old... uh, ex-basketballer, but I actually started footy first. Um, I was kicked back in Hobart, um, yep. bit of a sporting uh, family pedigree. Um, Pop, Peter Marcus won three flags for Melbourne uh, back in the 50s. So uh, grew up following footy and mum what was... was his surname? Marquis. He was full back. Okay. Yeah, Marquis back in the 50s. I won three and then got pipped in the fourth one uh, by Collingwood. So... Yep. Back in the day, um, so we had a footy footy background. Mum was the basketball. She won uh, a WNBL championship with the Hobart Islanders back when they were in the, the National League. So basketball and footy, but basically juggled both up until I was 15, then I took off. So Hobart was a beautiful place for me, and I was fortunate enough to experience footy and basketball back in back in beautiful Hobart. Now, Dad looks like a surfy, but, but <laughs> yeah. he was a... Um Water polo. He was, yeah. You've done your research. Very yeah. good. I was probably he was probably a bit stiff to miss out on a mention. Yeah, he was uh he was the water polo player, so I guess that's where the toughness came from in our in our Greenwood family. It's an insanely it's a brutal difficult sport. sport. Oh, brutal sport, yeah. So he was uh 
He was emergency for the LA Olympics, I reckon, in uh, might be 88, maybe. LA? 84. 84 was, yeah. Yeah. So he was... uh, he was emergency back in the back in the day, so yeah, he was the water pole in the family. He's the one that's least spoken about, but was probably the one of the better athletes in the fam. So you, not often you'd get to speak to somebody fifty eight years of age. Is so, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was alive in eighty four. Yeah, yeah, and, like, <laughs> and eighty eight, I think, was Soul. I think, Sol, yeah, yeah. I reckon yeah. you might be right. That was the Ben Johnson one yeah. where he took stenozanol and and had his hundred meters stripped off him. Now, so I could that, pretend I knew that, but I did. You ever? <laughs> Did you ever try water polo? It wouldn't surprise me if you did. I've seen some footage of water polo players, underwater footage of what they do. They are so strong, so tough. Resilient. Yeah, it's brutal. Well, that's that's you can't see what's going on under the water, so you can pretty much get away with whatever you want. So that's yeah. why I think the sport's so brutal because you only can see what's happening on the surface when there's kicking and punching and scratching and the rest going on underneath. So Dad's got some stories and some uh, we're some not nasty talking wedgies, injuries. Are we? oh, we're, no, I think I think we're talking wedgie. I think anything you can do <laughs> in old water polo. And you didn't have a go. I had a few goes at it. Um, I made. I only started basketball. I said, "Mum, I'll play basketball if you're my coach." And she was, and I said to Dad, I said, I'll try a water polo at school if if you'll coach us. Um, and sure enough, I did on Friday nights, but then basketball started to clash, so he got stitched up. I reckon I played about four or five games, and then basketball took over, and he was left to coach the school team. But water polo was, was good fun. So We had a teammate, Russell Morris, who played in uh, premiership with us, a tremendous player, and ended up at St Kilda. Yep. And he was a water polo player. And you know when you do your rehab in... in um, in the pool, yeah, you can't yeah. run, yeah. and we're all slaving our guts. <laughs> and then they say, "Right, tread water, get your shoulders right out." The water polo players, like oh. Russell, they could get their hips out, their Egg belly button yeah. Yeah. out of the water. And I'm, if this wasn't a pop, they'd stay there for like. Five, ten seconds. Yeah, they float there. I think it's the egg beater. Can you beater. do that? Yeah, the egg beater. Yeah, Dad taught me the old egg beater. Yep, yep, yep. You just float. I probably can't do it for five or ten seconds, but. So, but, yeah. but that's the, the, your teammates must think you're cheating some way when you're doing that. <laughs> we actually yeah? did do a water polo session on the coast. Um, like we went to the pool and did like a cross training thing, and you could tell the few boys were holding on to the lane ropes, and mm. there was a few boys that excelled a little bit more than the others. But it's a fun. It's if you take away the the physicalness underneath the water, it's it's pretty fun when it gets free flowing. I, I love it how natural conversation comes out before we'll talk about some of the harder <laughs> stuff. You mentioned the coast. We're talking about swimming. Is it? We everyone has you know rehabbers. They're swimming. If you can't run, mm. we had a twenty-five metre pool. We'd do for our rehab from the coast. Jason Dunstall couldn't swim from one oh, end no. to the other. There's always one or two, but not, not if you're it. from the coast, you should. But there's always one or two, and they get in the pool, and you're like, how can you not in Australia? How can you not swim? Yeah. If he's dense <laughs> like a wombat, he's, <laughs> That's true, he's yeah. a sinking sinks, wombat. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we used to have a laugh at that. So we've covered that. Dad lost out yeah, in the out. water polo. Yep, Mum wins. Yep. How talk us through how Mum wins with their son playing basketball, and the first time you picked up a basketball. Oh, well, did that's... you did you were you good at it, and Mum could see that, or it was through repetition? I um, it's funny. Mum took me to my first training session at a local club, and we got there, and we got turned away because they had too many numbers. Wow. So we we were told that, sorry, um, we've got too many kids on the team. You're going to have to go find another team to play for. And mum, being as stubborn as she was, she's like, 
screw it, we're going to go start our own team, our own club, and we're going to go down to the local police academy down the road and um, we're going to make our own little under-10s team. So I got all my little mates from school and we started in, in under-10s and we started our own team and um, we ended up being pretty handy. Um, Mum was a, a great coach, of course, but um, we poached a few of my mates, footy mates from school and we made our little basketball team and yeah, we just we kept that same group together. Mum was my coach. She sort of taught me all the, all my all the foundations, pretty much from when I was ten to when I moved away when I was fifteen. So, um, yeah, I just I I loved it. And fortunately enough, I was you know it's hard to tell in Hobart because often you're a big big fish in a small pond. Um, so I was I was a lot taller than all the other kids, a lot more um, so athletic than the other kids. Yeah, yeah, it was Were six you three. One I was a centre point guard basically. Yeah, yeah. I remember right. my first nationals, my first basketball nationals under sixteen. I'd start at. Uh, centre and then we'd make our first sub and I'd swap to point guard so um, I was I was pretty versatile in that sense but again in Tassie it was you'd, we made put a group together and we'd always just battle and compete and see how you go so I've, I guess that's sort of been a part of me for a long time but mum eventually won out in the basketball circles. So I've got a son who's 23 and yep. I've coached him from I think under 13, 14, 15, 16 yep. and I notice this era, so what? What are you now? Twenty nine. Just turned thirty, Dom. Just turned just thirty. 30. I heard the twenty nine. Yeah, twenty nine during the year. Just thirty. Yes. Okay, your era, mm. right through to now. Australian rules football is quite a discipline, disciplined sport, mm-hmm. and we have to commit to so many of the team things. And you do get a, a chance to express yourself the way you attack the ball, the way yes. you mark the ball, the way you kick the ball. Other than that, we're looking at a team game, Correct. ultimate team game at the top level. Yep. I know basketball has the world's biggest superstars, along with the soccer. Yeah, yes. The Premier League has the world's biggest sporting superstars. But basketball for kids these days, you know, even though they've got four other teammates, is a much more expressive sport that kids go, well, I can show off. Oh, yeah. I get thrown the ball and I can blind turn somebody. And as long as I don't go on an ego trip and, and turn <laughs> it over to the other side too often, my junior coach isn't going to say, toe the line, give that handball. It's a much more expressive sport for for kids of that nature it is i reckon it's the american influence i reckon it's the you see it it, in australia if you do anything outside the norm here especially in footy circles you're very quick to get cut down and it's team 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 whereas in these kids that are following basketball and following soccer they're following these guys that are so expressive and they're in america you you put on a pedestal with how expressive you are how that swagger that that confidence that like the lebrons your kobe's like they've just got this aura about them where they don't care what you think, and they do whatever they want, and they're pr- they're pretty bloody good. So I reckon it's those Steph Curry's or LeBron, like these eights of Stephs, the Giannis, these guys, like they're just they, yeah. They don't, in America, it doesn't matter. You can be who you want to be, and you don't get cut down for it, really. Well, America's a different vibe, isn't it? Is, it? In yeah. Australia, you, you stand up in in America in the in the classroom. What do you want to be, young Johnny? And you say you, I want to be president of the yeah, United yeah, States. Yeah. They'll go, go for it, yeah, man. Yeah. You stand up in a class in at Frankston Heights Primary School or Hobart Primary School yeah. and say, what would you like to be, Huey? I want to be Prime Minister. You wanker. Yeah. Yeah. There <laughs> exactly. is a huge psyche oh, difference is, yeah. right from the word go, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, 100% but, there is. Yeah. But it's it's creeping in here now, as I said, the expressiveness yes. of the sport. So mum gets you. Tell us about that team she decided to start up and what it meant to you and, and the 
mums and their sons oh, yeah. who are who are you know high achievers there's no more protective person the earth has ever seen than a mother of her high achieving yeah. son no nah, there's not and it was there I'll tell you what there were some very quiet car trips home from trainings because there was a <laughs> there was a lot of fights there was a lot of Silent, walk in the door, have dinner, don't make eye contact, go to beds. There were a lot. There were a lot of those. My mates and I were, we were very tight, but we were very cheeky. And because we knew we were pretty good, we thought we could get away with the world. So there was a lot of uh, awkward, silent car trips over the years. But um, oh, we she coached our junior club, and then she ended up coaching our school club. So we would have, oh, we would have won a lot of state titles. And um, this little basketball club in Hobart. Um, Eventually grew to one of the biggest clubs in in Hobart, the Mighty Grenadiers, the Fish, um, and they won the first state league, first official men's state league title a couple of years ago. So it it certainly blew up, and then she eventually became president of the club, of course, and um, got life membership um, with with Grenadiers, and then with with basketball of Tasmania through her involvement with coaching and um, all that sort of stuff, and then of course her playing career as well. So um, she had a yeah she had a finger on a lot of pulses in in, in basketball in Tasmania. And we're going to talk about the relationship, and and this is about you, but it will tribute your mother, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Before we go to the first break, could you dunk? Oh, there's, it's, there's a lot up for debate, yes. Yeah, I could dunk pre-America, and then when I got to America, I left it for my teammates because they were a lot better at it than I was, yeah. for sure. Hey, the other thing, you, you know what Marfan's syndrome is? The, you, your arm span is, <laughs> is yeah, wider than your height. I've, yeah. And I know because I've got, I've got yeah, really yeah, long, got arms. long arms. You've got... Extra long arms. Yeah. Have you got that? Yep. I reckon I've got that too. Yep. Yeah. About 12, 13 centimetres, I reckon. That? Just. 12, 13. Yeah. So Mine's I'm three and a half yeah. inches longer than my height. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So 12 or 13 centimetres. Yeah. That's yeah. insane. Worked all right. It works all right for a tackling standpoint, I reckon, in the footy world. And basketball was just deflecting and playing defence, which was always good for towards the back yeah. end. But yeah. And blocking shots. And blo- yeah. Yeah. Blocking <laughs> shots if I got close to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we will talk about all those other things. And they're pretty deep. Back in a second. Awesome. Easy. The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to The Conversations That Could. I'm Dermot Brereton and our guest tonight is Hugh Greenwood, former basketballer, now professional football player with the North Melbourne Kangaroos. So back in 2008, you headed off to the AIS on a Basketball scholarship, the Australian Institute of Sport. You're 16 years of age. Turning 16, yep. So you're 15 when you've been given the offer. 15, yep. And 16 is when you decide, yep, that's where I'm going. Yep. Again, Tassie, I felt Tassie was unreal for me, unbelievable and give me all the opportunities. Um, But then it was once you sort of hit that age, guys, you just – or people that I was playing against and friends, they sort of went off and went to school and did all this sort of stuff. And there was only obviously a handful that went on to that, that sort of next level. So for me, the next step was to to go down that path. And I think that I got the scholarship offer so early for basketball was because the basketball program knew that I was into my footy as well. And I'd had a good carnival and stuff. And so I was, I was too young to be eligible for a football scholarship because I played as an underage in the under 16s carnival and basketball were like, well, we can, we can actually give you a scholarship now if you want to come. And they took me on a tour to Italy and I just fell in love with the idea of travelling all around the world, Hang basketball on. being a global game. And You just slipped something in there, which every Aussie rules player is going to be really dirty <laughs> on. 
Basketball took you as a 16-year-old to Italy. Oh, 15, yeah. Yep. They took me to yep, they took me to Italy on my first my first tour. They they butted me up really nicely and then on the back of it they were like, Oh, what'd you think? Would you want to come and do this full time? We'll take bring you to Canberra and you'd travel every other month. I said, Yep, where do I sign? Let's do it. So you, you had the you had, you had the bit of the gypsy in you? <laughs> you yeah. wanted to travel. I did yeah, I did. And mum Mum actually was, when the AIS first started, I think it was 82, I think, she was a scholarship holder then. So we became the first, first and second generation athletes to attend the AIS. So she was the first. It was a lot different back then than than it was today or is today. Um, And so she'd talked about her experiences. And um, and so, again, I was like, this is... This is what I'm going to do. This is what I want. This is the next step. All the best players go through the AOS and then progress. So, this is it. I'm going to go to AOS and I'm going to train all day, every day. I'm going to try and go to school and then I'm hopefully going to go play, for, have a long career. And um, but yeah, traveling around the world was was pretty sick. So, talk me through this. I mean, not that it's exceptional and not that it isn't exceptional. The love that a father and mother have for their son mm. and reflected back at the parents. It is exceptional, but it's normal yeah, it was, to be exceptional, was, that love, isn't it? And that, that desire to still be under the, the the same roof as your parents. As a 16-year-old, though, your love for the sport, so you, you are taken away from that, what you've known. Yeah, it was, and it was, it was really hard because we had such a strong relationship and obviously had a really strong friendship group. I was year nine when I left, so I didn't even get to finish year 10 with all, with all my mates, so... That was that was really hard leaving leaving them behind and can't, it wasn't not like Canberra was just down the road from Hobart. It wasn't it was two and a half three to get to not a lot of to stuff Canberra. to get in and, trouble. Yeah, with well, in Canberra yeah, I think that's why the OS is in Canberra. <laughs> um, so moving away from home, that's why I really sympathise with guys that do travel come from interstate. Like being from obviously my clubs have been Adelaide, the Gold Coast. Um, now not so much in North, but being in Adelaide and being on the Gold Coast, having a lot of players come from interstate, I can. I can really sympathise with them, and we we obviously see it every year, almost around this time when guys go home for family reasons and personal reasons. So I feel like I've been able to help in that regard and help guys move. Granted, mine was a, a little bit younger, but um, when I moved, I was two years younger than the next player on the team. So I was yeah, wow. I was two years younger than than all my teammates. Um, again, you know, when you're 15, I'd never done a load of laundry. I'd, thankfully, we didn't have to cook because we had the dining hall, but I'd never done laundry. Never filled any paperwork out. Never done all that. That was that was all mum. So um, thankfully they came over and, and visited a lot. But how often would they get there? How um, often would you get home? They always did a really good job because Marty Clark, who was who's the, who's a coach, he was actually a, a Tasmanian. Um, he knew under the circumstances it was going to be hard, so he gave me every, extra opportunities to sort of head home where I could and 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 obviously bring them around as well. But the hardest part we we travelled every other month, so basically be a month on camera and then we'd we'd go overseas and when I say back in my day it makes me seem really old but there wasn't FaceTime there wasn't there was, I think we had Skype and that might have been it but which not was every fairly unreliable which just, yeah, it was fair, days, very yeah. unreliable and not everywhere had Wi-Fi like you'd so we'd be digging around cafes in like we'd go to McDonald's overseas in Italy or or France or we'd try and find these cafes or the hotel would have Wi-Fi, but they'd sting you however many euros, and we didn't have any money. So um, the hardest part was traveling and trying to communicate. Um, but um, yeah, it was it financially. Was, it would have been 
I don't know the means of your parents, but it would be an impost on them. Yeah, most of it was a scholarship, which was great, but anything else, it wasn't. So they used to give me a little allowance. They used to give me like a hundred bucks a week um, to to spend. And when I moved to the institute, I was fifteen, turning sixteen, which meant all the boys were seventeen, turning eighteen. Yeah. So a lot of boys were were having their eighteenths, and um, I was trying to sneak out and spend my money with the boys on their 18th, so they're always constantly having to top up for taxis. And Can you remember any <laughs> any places that they said, how old are you, son, and they weren't copying yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I remember getting – I had a mate's um, – I had a mate's ID back in back in Hobart that I used to try and use, and they asked me to do the signature once, and I managed to nail it. But other than that, I used to just roll in because all these basketballs are all – Six, eight, yeah. six, nine, seven foot, and like I was pretty tall. You were had the a baby Shane face. Hill yeah, I was a little hammer. Yeah. I wish I was a Shane Hill. <laughs> and then I used to just roll in behind them, and they're like, "Yep, in you come." So, and I, I remember having to call mum on a Friday, and they'd be like, "Oh, what are you up to this weekend?" I was like, "Oh yeah, I had a big week at training, and uh, one of the boys is turning 18, and she'd be like, oh, "Okay, here's another twenty bucks to make sure you get home safely." <laughs> so she was, yeah, she was pretty good like that. Now, from the AIS, the next step in your sporting career led you overseas. Mm. Talk, talk us through that. That was, yeah, that was the next step. So I spent four years in Canberra, and again, it was time to pack up and move. But um, during that time, I remember I just, it was, I was 17, and I'd just finished my first World Champs. Um, and the boys that I'd spent my two years with were all graduating, and they were heading off to their next stage and heading to America. So I was 17, and we just got back from the World Championships, and I remember um, finishing a recovery session, and we had host parents. So being so on the AIS campus you didn't have obviously your parents but you had sort of host families and host parents that lived in the dorms or near the dorms you could access and I remember one in the, one of them coming to recovery and telling them to come back to sort of their place and um got a got a phone call from from mum and got the news that mum had been diagnosed with breast cancer so um I was 17 then and um she'd and then by the time I left, I was 19. She'd been battling um, breast cancer for obviously a couple of years. So I got to this sort of 19, and my dream was always to head to the States and go overseas. And um, Gee, that's bittersweet, that that's that moment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it was. And so obviously that first instinct's to, all right, I'm just going to pack it up and, and come home and spend, with, again, not knowing how... What did your mum say when you when you when you thought and you conveyed your feelings that I'll I'll pack it up and come home to be with you? What did no, she say? No, no way. You can't like you can't be doing that. We've you've this is this is what you've wanted to do for so long, and um, we'll be we're, we'll be fine here. We had a, a really strong network. That'll that'll be right. My little sister will will be okay, and um, you got to keep doing what you want to do because what my motivation for for living and my motivation for life is to watch your kids and my sister and I do well and succeed. And so if you come home and you're around me and feeling sorry for me and I'm feeling sorry for myself, then I'm, that's what, what's the point? And so, and you understand that now you've got, yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I've got you my can own understand now. Yeah, that I can feeling now. Yeah, now. yeah, absolutely. But again, that just that, that, that instinct, that parental instinct, that or that family instinct to protect one another. Like my first instinct was like, oh, I've got to come home and help you guys out. But it was, it would have almost been more detrimental for me to come home in that, she felt like she wouldn't have had sort of that motivation. And, um, and yeah, so I, I stuck it out and, again, had the same conversation when I was going to leave to America because it's different. I could easily go from Canberra to Hobart, but going to the other side of the world if something was to go wrong was was going to be even harder. And so we had those conversations again and she said, look, you've wanted to do this your entire life. I could not sleep at night if you didn't. And how good is this? I get to get through my treatments. I get to do a block of chemo and I guess what? I'm on the next 
I'm on the next flight and I'm spending a few months in America watching you do what you want to do. So, um, that's what ended up, ended up happening. It was another toss up. Do I stay home or do I go? And she said, I think you got to go. And it even got to the point where I haven't told too many people this, but that was the first thought that maybe I do stick around and play, play footy. So instead of going to America, why don't I stay here? The NBL wasn't what it is now. Do I try and go down the football path? So I remember flying over to Melbourne, um, having a, a spending a weekend with Collingwood um, and having a real sit down. And I remember getting to our hotel room on the Sunday night after watching them at the G and meeting Bucks and, um, and Pendles and Maxwell and thinking, wow, is this, could we actually do this? Play footy, stay in Australia, be close to you. And she said, look, this is great, but I still don't think it's you. I think you need to go over and, and play basketball and um, it's going to be tough, but this is, again, this is what you've always wanted to do. And I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if, it, if you ended up being the wrong call. So I'm hearing her thoughts that she's conveying to you yep. what she believes you really want in your soul, yep. what she thinks is best for you. And it yep. all rolls into yep. one which says go, yep. find out. Now, on the back of a Scanlon's footy card, it doesn't say Hugh Greenwood, wonderful tackler, great uh, contested ball winner. It'll give a few stats. If there was a Scanlon swap card for you as a basketballer, it'd give me a feel of how good and how far you oh, could geez. have gone. What what would it say? Was it a great ball handler? Was it was it a vision? What, what was it that that was somebody at Utah Jazz might say? And hey, the kid Greenwood, let's have a real look at him. Let's get him over here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is a tough one because you feel like you're going to pump yourself up a little bit here. No, but, I was but just, it's I was one time not, to be yeah. real about yourself. Oh. And don't 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 be modest. It evolved. It evolved I can set years. an example for it you is. if you want. <laughs> <laughs> you can go. Yeah, you give you five ten. Oh, it, it evolved back in, in, in Australia with the, the junior national team. Um, I was pretty versatile. I was always hard-nosed, like always sort of defensive-minded. But yep. um, I could shoot. I could sort of do a bit of everything. I wasn't. I didn't really excel in any one thing, but I could do a number of things like really, really well. Um, and so, probably I hit my peak in and when I was nineteen, the World Championships in in Latvia. That was I made the All Star Five. So at that point, I, I would considered one of the top five players in the world and take the next steps to go and get drafted. But unfortunately, I got to the college environment, and uh, there was a lot of distractions. Derm, a lot of yeah, poor, not, not a lot of good ones, and a lot, of, not a lot of great decisions were made and I sort of lost my I lost my way a little bit to to be frank um Gee, you, you, I'm not I'm not going to cast aspersions on you thank god Australian rules football didn't have colleges because <laughs> yeah, yeah, we might okay. not have played a senior no, game you might not. we wouldn't be sitting here doing <laughs> I don't reckon. it was uh it was a lot of fun but it was it was too much fun um but I'm sure we'll go down that at some stage but yeah but bas- early days I was I could sort of do a little bit of everything and um, sort of been able to defend multiple positions and then knock down open shots. I would have never been a star at NBA level, but I felt like someone that could just play a role coming in and defend and coming in and hit shots. And um, with the same thing when I did with all the Olympic stuff and the tryouts, um, made it to the final 2012, I reckon it was, made it to the final 16. Um, again, was just defending as a young kid and 
Um, I remember going, I was just a guinea pig at a lot of those camps. I used to go and they used to call me up and say, yep, you're coming to this camp. We want you to defend Joe, Joe Ingalls, Brad and Patty and make it hard for them. So you should yeah. go and get beaten up on screens by all these bigs, <laughs> um, like Bainesy and Nate and all these guys. And just And then at the end of the camp, they'd be like, thanks, you did a great job. We'll, we'll see you next time. So yeah. I'm Dermot Burton and our guest tonight is Hugh Greenwood. This is the conversations that could for Are You OK? Brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. Dare Iced Coffee, a proud part of Are You OK? The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask Are You OK? Welcome back to The Conversations That Could for Are You OK? I'm Dermot Brereton and my guest tonight is Hugh Greenwood. He's an AFL player with the North Melbourne Kangaroos and an ambassador for Breast Cancer Network of Australia, the BCNA, having lost his mum to breast cancer in 2017. I saw some of the footage and you talked about that time where mum was diagnosed. Mm. And the thing that stuck with me, you said, I mean, there would have been an awful situation to hear, but you were angry. Mm. Did you take that anger... And were you able to channel it in any positive way or did it become a destructive anger? Oh, it's, it's, it's hard. Thankfully, being an athlete, and it's not the same for everyone, being an athlete, I can take that anger and I can put it somewhere constructive if, as long as it doesn't go too far. But I know for a lot of people that I'd spoken to through my experiences with breast cancer, it's allowed me to, to be in touch with a lot of other people, a lot of young kids and a lot of people going through similar things that didn't have that avenue. So their anger was gone, had taken them down more destructive paths that yep. weren't necessarily beneficial. But I was really, really angry because it was um, it was just more like, what, like, why? And anyone that gets sick, anyone that has a family, it's like, why? Like, why them? Like, she like she was an athlete. She was healthy. She was she was just a great, an amazing person, amazing friend, an amazing family. Like, why? Like, why her? Um, and... I used to see the pink stuff all the time. You know, you used to, yep. October would roll around, you'd see the pink balloons, you'd see the pink ribbons and you'd sort of glance at it and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, but you didn't really, you don't really know. And all of a sudden you have someone that's, and it's, it's any disease and you have someone that's diagnosed with, with that particular illness and all of a sudden you start seeing it everywhere. And so it's, I started to learn a bit, a little, a lot more about it. But yeah, I, I was, I was really angry. You know, I was fortunate enough to have sport and I sort of, again, sort of lost a bit of passion and drive for basketball because I was so concerned about what was going on at home. But mum was always so reassuring and it was hard. Being away was, was, was good and bad. It was bad because I wasn't there, but it was, it was good because they sort of sheltered me from a lot of the things that were happening at home. I wouldn't often see all the appointments and I wouldn't see her at home in bed sick after chemo. I wouldn't see her after surgery because I was, I was always away. So whenever I would come home, She'd put on this brave face, like, how good's this? Like, oh, yep, sick here, but let's go and do this. Like, I'm feeling feeling great. So, In hindsight, was it right to have you sheltered from that? I mean, you're, you're a young man and you've got your career. I know your mum, from the sounds of it and, and hearing the interviews she did, she, apart from being a brilliant woman, mm. is it the right way to completely shelter you from that? Oh, did you learn enough about it? I think I'd I, – oh, I think now that I look back, I probably, I, I was not oblivious, but I sort of knew, but again, I was sort of young and I, 
I wanted to know, but I didn't want to know everything because I, and I look back now and there was a lot of guilt then. And there's obviously a lot of, a lot of guilt now. And, um, but I know that they knew it was the right thing and it wasn't just her, it was dad as well. And, and my little sister. So I feel yeah. bad for, especially my little sister who was two years younger than me, having to pick up a lot of the slack and see a lot of things that you wouldn't want to see your, your parents going through or your mum going through. So I feel a lot of sympathy for, certainly for her. And, and dad was just this rock that, Again, he's often unspoken about saying, I forgot him with the water polo. Like he's this mm. guy that sort of just sat out to the side that just used to just hold us all together. So there was certainly a lot of guilt um, and being uh, moving away from such a young age and being away from family, I sort of built these, uh, this, I can do it all myself. Like I didn't have like my family and friends in, in Hobart. And so I got to Canberra and it's like, I've just, I've got to become self-reliant, self-sufficient, I've got to, so I built up these sort of walls and I built up this sort of mentality that I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I've been away. I'm on my own. I'm 15. I'm moving away from home. I'm doing it on my own. I can do everything on my own. So and that's so, a self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency of, of emotions? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was just my way. It's like, all right, I'm on my own and I'm going to be on my own from now that I'm 15 to wherever I finish. So I just learned to just Deal, deal with everything on my own and do everything on my own and that my teammates were two years older than me and again these things you didn't have those conversations with these guys but eventually became really good mates of mine but I didn't really know them that well and I was younger than them so I wanted to act like I was older and mm. tougher and stronger than I than I potentially was and I unfortunately I kept that sort of mentality for a number of years and so especially when mum was getting sick I probably didn't talk enough to others because I was seen as oh he moved away when he was 15 he's travelling well playing basketball how good's life how good's this like yeah his mum's sick but He's, he's fine. He's doing all right. And so um, I look back then and I wish that I had asked more and known a little bit more about what she was going through. But at the same time, I I look back and would have I been able to deal with seeing her going through what she was going through and knowing what she was going through. So I think they made the right call in that this, he's only 20, you know, 18, 19, 20. Yes, he's lived, he's lived on his own. He's been self-sufficient. But if he was to find out and see everything that I was going through, it would want him to come home. It might make him come home and give up his dreams or he might not be able to handle it. And so they sort of sheltered me from it. I hope not. But somewhere out there, this will <coughs> resonate with, with somebody listening to it. Yeah. And there'll be a teenage boy out there somewhere who's in in the process of, yeah. unfortunately, losing his mother. Yeah. To so what advice would you Yeah, give? well, ultimately your parents know you best, I suppose. And so mum and dad would have known me best and they did know me best and they said they would have thought that he doesn't need to know all this, otherwise it's going to distract him from, from what he's doing. So they're just so selfless. And, so you've got to uh, trust. You, you, obviously you've got to trust your parents and you've got yeah. to trust your loved ones and your circle. But if you want to know more, then you, you need to ask the questions. But you know, I guess you've got to be be prepared for something that's quite confronting. If you don't think you can handle it, then there's other ways to stay connected. It might not be, you know, it might not be knowing all the details, but it, like I, for me, I knew when she'd go in for surgery, so I'd always give her a call or a message afterwards. I knew when she was getting chemo, so I'd always be checking in with her and then I wouldn't ask for the details, but I'd know that I'd get a message from dad that this is what's happening today. And, and so I'd be like, oh, mum, how you going? How you feeling? Like, what's what's happening? What are you up to today? What are you? And for her, it's like, all right, we gave her something to look forward to. It's like, all right, what are you doing after this? Like, oh, are you going to come visit? Are you going to come watch? Or maybe I can come down and, and do all that sort of stuff. So for any kid or anyone, it doesn't matter if it's a kid or if anyone that's got a loved one and that's going through something, whether you're in the state, it's it's checking in after appointments, before appointments. Um, and then if you're in a state, again, it's checking in as well. And mum used to have this thing called a, a a bucket list, but she had another word for it. <laughs> that got bleeped another... out in the interview yeah. I watched. Oh, you see, yeah, okay. So she had that, and so for her, it was helping her with her with her bucket list. 
um, and sort of keeping her engaged and staying involved without knowing all of it, but helping her stay positive and helping like you or me keep a strong um, sense of mind as well. Hold that. Because people love bucket lists. I'm going to to start up after the break (laughs) about mum's bucket list. Yeah, awesome. This is the Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. Kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK? We'll wrap things up with this wonderful AFL player, Hugh Greenwood, in just a moment. The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a Dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to the conversations that could for Are You Okay? I'm Dermot Brereton, and our guest tonight is Hugh Greenwood, former basketballer, almost. Oh, I don't know if we can say almost NBA, went pretty close, but he's now a professional player with the North Melbourne Kangaroos. Everyone loves a bucket list. Mum seemed amazing. I've seen some pictures of some of the activities she participated in. With her bucket list, yeah. Tell us about she it. She was a weapon. Yeah, she as, as we said before, she had a she had a different name for uh, for her bucket list. But when she was diagnosed uh, with term with um, secondary breast cancer in when I was twenty one, I think it was. It was my second year in college. Again, tossed up with her coming home. She's like, "No, you've come this far. You got to do it. You got to finish it." So when she was diagnosed a second time and it was never going to go away, that was mm. that was when it, it really it really hit home. And again, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of why her and we only spent a year in remission, so we're thinking she was starting to get her life back on sort of track and starting to plan what the next stage for her life was. And bang, it come it all comes, all comes crashing down again. Um, and so this this bucket list became really prominent, and that's what would get her out of bed, and that's what would get her through her treatments and get her through through her therapies. Was all right if I can tick this off, that means I get to go and tick this off. So she bought a car, she paid off the house, she would go to, like she spent months and months in America visiting my, well, my sister ended up coming to the same school as, as me in America. And so um, they became empty nesters, which they didn't like. And so they were off in, in so America. Went, and, and I see she rode some trails. And, yeah, 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 she did. Yeah, her thing Cowboy was horses. Yep. Yeah. She loved horses. So she did horse rides. Um, they went out and bought another car convertible and just used to put the roof down and just drive whenever they had a crap day. They just used to put the roof down and Without just the go driving. No, no, they just used to <laughs> drive off. They used to drive, drive off and drive off. Um, they went. Mum's dream was to always go to Africa and go on a safari. They didn't get quite that far because it's pretty hard to get uh, into health insurance international health insurance when you've got a, yes. a terminal illness. So yeah, she had a bit right. of, she ran into a few troubles whenever she used to try and go overseas. But thankfully the UNM hospitals, University of New Mexico hospital used to take care of her when she used to come to America. And we, we built up a relationship. We ended up raising a hundred thousand US dollars for breast cancer research in the UNM hospital there. So um, through her and her story and her inspiration and, and the way she lived life, because people used to follow her bucket list and see what she was doing. And awesome. um, yeah, it was just her, her passion for, for life was was really inspiring and it helped us as well. Now I know you you're a an ambassador for Yep, Breast Cancer Network Australia. Okay. Yep. Now and that is and I've seen you you you've come out with a spiel uh, and it's well worn and people say oh, I just want to raise awareness for it. Now, 10 years ago I saw, you know, people with pink cricket stumps yeah, in the, yeah. in the, and, yeah. and you see Shane War, uh, Shane uh, Crawford run yeah, to Adelaide yeah, and yeah. with all the the pink ladies and and like so and say all oh, right, breast cancer. I think I'm aware. Yeah. Am I really aware? What do we need to be aware of? What would what message do you want to get across? What is awareness? Yeah, well the 
the idea of it is very similar to what we do. It's just about creating awareness and it's seeing it and then asking questions and, and talking about it. And it's like, what's this, as you said, what's this pink stump? And then you might go and talk to someone, what does it mean? And then you hear someone's story and it's like, oh, wow, that's really powerful. I've got an auntie or I've got a, a cousin or a niece that's been through this. And they're more than likely, if you go into a room and say, have you had someone affected by breast cancer, by a testicular, by any sort of illness, someone's more than likely to put their hand up and someone that you might not have even known. So again, it, it's, it's when you see the pink stuff and you see the color, it's about sparking conversation because then it can lead to, to bigger and better things. And so with the pink stuff, it's it's a lot. Not did you wear pink on purpose today? Was that was that you on? Oh, I've got. You've pink done. On. I will say you did that on purpose. <laughs> no, yeah, I didn't even. No, you, I reckon you've done that on purpose. And so it's just about about sparking conversations because then it leads to someone that might need to really talk about it that hasn't been able to talk about it. And so. Um, it's 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 a powerful visual, but then it's a powerful conversation starter, and so that's what the pink and any sort of um, foundational charity wants is to spark conversation. Your appearance in the grand final mm. against Richmond, yeah. uh, that would have meant the world to your mother. It did, yeah, it 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 did, it did, but it was also one of the certainly one of the hardest days, and it sort of kicked off sort of the hardest period in 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 my life and in and our family's life. I didn't, again, I didn't, I knew she was really sick, but I didn't realize how sick. And I think that she knew there's a photo in after the prelim, we beat Geelong and there's a photo that I'm leaning up against the, the rope talking to her and she's bawling her eyes out like pumped, like pumped. But I think it's a bit of like, how good is this? But it's also, that's, this will probably, the next one will probably be, be it. Um, and she, I think she knew that, but she again she sort of sheltered us from that. And so the grand final was was yeah it was um, obviously losing was was brutal. So you build your whole life up to to win this oh, this ultimate dream. Like oh this is this is and again this is my story. I've gone from basketball, it didn't work out. I've gone to footy. It's my first year. Like oh it's just part of the story. Like I'm, we're going to win a premiership here, and this is going to be this is going to be great. And um, it wasn't. It wasn't to be, and um, it's sort of kicked off a period. So we lost the granny, um, and then again because basketball was a sort of a year-round thing. I'd never been on a on a holiday before. I'd never had an off season. So we went on this. We, Curse uh, and I, we we planned this big trip overseas and um, in America and booked flights and accommodation and wada rada. Spent all all my matches on on that, and we were in. We were there for <laughs> we were there for. A, a day and a half. So this was this just for, was, just for people listening. Just, yeah. You you went a little you went a little bit terminology for those in the know. The matches. Your matches. Yes, the matches. Yeah, my match what? payments. My uh, <laughs> my my incentives for playing AFL footy. The little extras that get you out of bed with your you match sold payments. You a lot. You, you, yep, to you go on this, a lot. To go on this. Oh, not not all. A lot of it. <laughs> so you go on this this holiday that I'd never been on before. I'd never had a break before, okay. and so I was there for this was October. So the obviously the granny was. Um, late September, so not even two weeks later, we got on this plane to America, and we were a day and a half in, and I got a call from Dad really late at night, and he said, "Mate, you've uh, you got to come home. Mum's probably not going to make it through the week." Um, and so this was on the um, this was on the Mon on the Tuesday, and they said that she probably won't make it past Friday. Um, couldn't get a flight on the Tuesday; could only get it on Wednesday, um, and not, when you travel from Australia to the US, you lose a day, so you actually arrive. On, yeah. You lose the Thursday, so you arrive on the Friday. Yeah. And so um, am I going to make it home in time? Um, but um, she was a fighter. She'd fought cancer for 10 or so years, and so we were able to get there and, and, and say goodbye, which is, for anyone that's been through it, is 
we knew it was coming for for years, but to to go through it was was obviously really hard. And from there, we um, <laughs> we uh, yeah, we didn't really know what to do. Sort of lost direction. But again, footy was an outlet, and hopefully. I guess people have an outlet. Um, I was fortunate enough to have footy. Not everyone has footy, whether it's school, um, whether it's a really close group of mates, um, whether that's gaming. I don't know. Everyone's got to have sort of an outlet that can that can sort of take them away from it. And and mine mine was footy. Um, so I was, I was like, all right, let's get back into footy. And ended up um, needing surgery on both my Achilles, so I missed all the preseason, all off season, all preseason. Then rolled into um, round one and thankfully somehow got a game. Um, I think mum had a little bit of a hand in it. We, um, I was, I didn't quite do enough to get picked for round one cause I'd coming off a short preseason, um, coming off the camp as well, the old, the Crows camp. So that was thrown in there too. You got through that all right? We got through the Crows camp. That was thrown in there too. So that was another one that was, was thrown into, uh, into that did, sort of short just, period. Did that knock you around or, or did you get uh, through it all right? No, I got through it. Okay. It was hard. I, again, it was hard cause it was, breaking you down and building you up again. And it was about having conversations that whether or not you were ready to have them or not. So a lot of them were directed towards, towards mum, of course, like, yeah. Oh, how you feeling? How you going again? And these were, were chances to talk. Um, but, but thankfully got, got through that and got to round, got to round one was emergency. Um, and then Sam Gibson, who came across from North had played like 130 games straight, had never missed a game of footy. Yeah. Does his hammy in the captain's run. And I get a call I'm still in Adelaide. I wake up from a nap and they're like, you got to get on a plane to Melbourne. You're going to play and played round one. And I get, I reckon mum had a hand in that because <laughs> how does this guy play? I'm in 30 games, never missed a game. All of a sudden come in round one, kick goal, end up playing every game that year and having one of my best years in footy. So um, again, I wouldn't have been able to get through that sort of period of time if it wasn't for having outlets. Um, a really, a really strong friendship group, a really strong core friendship group where I was always seen as this guy that was the the leader of the group and the the toughest and the ones that used to come to me and so I wasn't I probably didn't have the courage certainly back then to have the conversations with my mates that I'm more comfortable in having now and when you go through something that's like that and you you become so vulnerable it's almost like this big weight comes off your shoulders like when I went through it they'd seen me at my lowest now I'd break down all the time I'd go through you know I'd go through waves of emotions and so going through something traumatic actually allowed me to then say you know what they've seen me at my lowest now I'm actually more comfortable talking about it and hopefully people don't have to go through this stage where they get to the absolute bottom before they then can start talking about their stuff hopefully they're strong enough and brave enough to be like before I get to this level I know my mates are strong enough my family's strong enough I can just go and chat to them and you be you, fine with it you now are veteran age for mm. AFL, but you're a young man and people say, oh, he's going to be great for these kids. You know, a 30-year-old's going to be great for these young kids to be around and they'll learn from him. But still a young man without life experiences. You have, if we're going for a job interview, your <laughs> life experiences, you have the experiences of somebody who's lived 20 years longer than what you have already. Yeah that will be invaluable for these young fellows you now find as your teammates at this new rebirth of, of, of North Melbourne as well. Yeah, and I think that's – I've been so fortunate. I've been unfortunate but so fortunate to have experienced so much and I think that that's a reason – obviously when I play, my style's pretty straightforward. I just tackle and have a crack and so I help out guys on field by just having a go. But I think where – um, Nob saw me fitting in here and where they saw me fitting in on, on the coast with their young group was sort of helping 
they're more off-field um, being around in lead environments, being at RAS, being with the Boomers, being in college, um, being at multiple clubs, seeing setting, yeah. setting, setting standards and um, people going through whatever they need to go through, whether it's loved ones being sick, whether it's moving away from home, whether it's form, whether it's anything that's going on in life. I've, I feel like I've been through it and so I'm someone that can um, – that they can speak to and so I feel like where my most value is in helping North where they want to get to is is being is, is actually off field um, and helping them want to get helping them get where they want to get to away from footy and helping them stay on, on the right path so I say that to all the young North Melbourne players is any <laughs> advice from Hugh Greenwood is going to be sage advice He's, you've lived every great aspect of a young sportsman and you've lived the the really lows as well you can comment with authority on everything that you can pass on to these kids is going to be enormous for their their rebuild. Have you have you met the new coach before we let you go? Yeah, well, you dropped it. I had met Clarko <laughs> a couple of years ago, um, and so we uh, we met again um, the other week. And so um, he was keen to fill me on on all his American adventures. Um, and again, I'm just looking forward to obviously um, being an elder player in a, in a rebuilding side it'll be about how much I can help them before we then go on and, and pass the torch and so um, I've always said I'll make it really hard for those kids before I hand on the torch <laughs> but again my passion is for, for helping people and and helping teammates and players so um, I'll help to help them away from footy and certainly on field because um, I'm really excited about the, the group that we had and I was really excited with the group we had on the Gold Coast a very very well driven um, really exciting group up there that are, are going to see some success in a couple of years but our North group is is, is not too far behind, so we're, we're pretty pumped to where we can get to. Well, Hugh, I've never had the opportunity to speak to you before, but I must say it's, it's some difficult subjects or a difficult subject to talk to you about, but I thoroughly enjoyed meeting you and, and chatting to you, and I wish you all the successes that you could possibly get. <laughs> Thanks, Hopefully you're nice to it, yeah. Keep being – I've always – Whenever I've watched games back, I've always we, we fill out that AFLPA questionnaire. It was a coincidence. We fill out the AFLPA questionnaire and who's your who's your favourite commentator to listen to and your name pops up. Oh, good man. Ed, Eddie wasn't on there. <laughs> I said to Eddie, Eddie Betsy, he wasn't he didn't get his name on there, but Dermy, you've always been one of my favourites. So when Jane reached out, I said, Absolute no brainer. I've always oh. loved listening to it. So actually so funny there's that it one worked out, out there. There's one out there. There's there's one vote. Now you now you know who it is, and that's yeah. that's an absolute true story. Don't you? we only, we fill them out all the time and they oh, are so thank you. No, thanks, Dermy. And I hope that I hope that anyone that's listened today, um, whether it's breast cancer related, whether that's moving away from home, whether that's anything that's gone in their life, can can listen in and, and hopefully take something away and, again, reach out because there's more people. We're not, as athletes, and I'm sure people that come on this show, you, you think you're invincible, but you, you're clearly not. And um, Don't be afraid to, to reach out and, and see what others are going through. And um, if it's any, certainly if it's breast cancer related, I'd love to get in touch and, and chat and talk stories. So um, thanks for having me, Derm. I appreciate it. Hugh Greenwood. If you'd like more information about the incredible work of the Breast Cancer Network of Australia, head to www.bcna.org.au. Subscribe to the podcast of the show so you never miss an episode. I'm Dermot Brereton, and we'll be back next week when we'll kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK? Thanks for listening. The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay?